Mm. Wow. Amen. In case you're unsure of why we get together every Sunday morning, that's it. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that he lived the perfect life, died on the cross in our place, was buried, and rose again three days later. This is why we get together, and we have two uh, opportunities here today in baptism and later on in communion uh, to, uh, to celebrate the picture that that is, and that's what that baptism was, that it's not just his death and his resurrection, but he has given that as a gift to us, that we are buried with him in his death, and we are risen from the grave, risen from the, the tomb and from our own death through him, and that's what we want to celebrate today. So it's good to have you with us. Uh, if you are visiting, my name's Jay. I work here, and uh, I sometimes get up on Sunday morning and talk a lot. So um, it's good to have you, and uh, we are going to talk about Jesus and really dig in, and we are in one of the greatest sermons ever given because it's one that came directly from the lips of Christ himself. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We're at the beginning. It's almost really the intro to the sermon called the Beatitudes, and maybe you've heard those before. Blessed are the poor in spirit, we've talked about. Happy are those who can recognize they are spiritually poor because they are the ones who become spiritually rich. Uh, we talked about verse 4, blessed of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who mourn. Wow, that's interesting. Happy are those who are willing to mourn sin and loss because in their mourning they find comfort and they find life. Blessed are the meek. True power and protection come when we give it up. And then we talked last week, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because in standing, longing for Christ's righteousness in a righteous way, we will be satisfied. And today we pick up Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. These Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, are really interesting because Jesus is going to say everything you don't think is the way to find happiness. Uh, all the ways we typically think happiness, just put those aside. Jesus is going to say a different way probably. But here's the crazy part. When we follow his backwards way, his backwards way of doing things and doing happiness is where we actually find true happiness. Happiness, And so today we're going to talk about this idea of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Interesting. A lot of words that we use nowadays that I think have been twisted and misinterpreted probably, especially around the idea of love. I think we've really gotten that one wrong in our culture and society. But even as you start to extrapolate that out, the idea of mercy. What does that actually mean? Anybody else as a kid play Mercy? You know the game where you like interlock fingers with something? It's the one place where guys interlock fingers. I don't know. It's because it gets super manly because you're going to try and like bend the other guy's fingers back, right? Have you ever done that one? Anyone? Okay, I grew up in the States. Maybe that's an American game. Okay, cool. So you put your fingers in and it's like the person who can push the other person's fingers back until they cry Mercy. And then you lift up and you win. And I think sometimes... We think maybe that's what mercy is. That's actually not God's definition of mercy. That's just one person exerting power over another person and making them submit. 
That's not what we're talking about. God's understanding of mercy is so different. So much better. And so let's break it apart. Let's take a look at it. See what it is. What are we talking about when we talk about mercy the way God defines it? Really as simply as this. It's just compassion for those in need. Compassion for those in need. I want to say this. Mercy and grace seem like they're synonyms for each other, but they're actually more like cousins, if you will. Sorry, I'm like all over the place with my analogy here. But get what I'm saying. They're, they're related, but they're not completely the same. And so let me break that down for a second. We use this word grace a lot. What do we mean when we say grace? Grace is undeserved favor or love in regard to our sinfulness. Okay? Undeserved favor or love in regard to our sinfulness. What are we talking about when we talk about grace? God's grace speaks first that idea of our legal righteousness that we talked about last week. The word, big word justification or being justified. It's our legal standing. We are actually in opposition to God. We're going in a different direction. But through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he makes us right with himself. And so this is part of what we mean by grace. And when we say it's undeserved, here's the reality. If God gave us what we deserved, we should have been on the cross. We should have been sentenced for eternity. But he took our place. It's undeserved love, undeserved favor. You didn't do anything to get it. You're not more righteous than the person sitting next to you. That's not what it's about. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he came himself as Jesus Christ and paid the price for us. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to pay the price that we owed and to serve the sentence that we should have served. So there's a legal righteousness, but there's a moral righteousness too when we talk about God's grace. Because even though we have received this gift of love by faith, he continues day by day, moment by moment, to show us undeserved love as we walk with him. If you are a disciple of Christ, don't answer this out loud. How are you doing with your righteousness today? How are you doing being meek, mourning, poor in spirit? How are you doing? Did you get it all worked out this week? Thank you for laughing, because obviously the answer is no. This is God's grace that he continues to love us, continues to show his love to us. Not because we've done it better this week than last week. So there's a legal righteousness, a moral righteousness where we see his grace. Romans 8, 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life to you has set you free from the law of sin and death. We'll come back to this in a second because it's kind of a big deal. So grace is an undeserved favor or love in regard to our sinfulness. What is mercy? Mercy is an undeserved favor or love in regard to our misery. Now let that sink in for a second. It's an undeserved favor and love in regard to our misery. It's a sympathy 
for the results of our sinfulness, the results of our brokenness, whether it's our own sinfulness or sinfulness that has been put on us by others. Grace deals with the sin itself. Mercy deals with the results of that sin. Uh, old guy named John Stott, I just paraphrase here, grace offers a pardon, a cleansing, a reinstatement. Mercy offers relief, healing, and help. Okay? Let's talk about that. We see God's mercy through Jesus Christ extends to his own family and friends when he walked on the earth. Isn't that sometimes where we need the most mercy? <laughs> it extended to the hungry, the sick, and the poor. It extended to Samaritans. Might not mean a lot to us today, but back in that day, 2,000 years ago, Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile, and they were hated by everybody. The Jews didn't like them because they weren't fully Jewish. The Gentiles didn't like them because they weren't fully Gentile, you know, the Romans especially of the day. And so you got this group of people that just stay in their own little space, completely marginalized from everybody. And Jesus spent so much time there, didn't he? And his own people gave him a super hard time for doing it. Remember the story of the good Samaritan? Uh, for us, that doesn't always resonate. When a Jew would have listened to that in his day, they would have been beside themselves. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. And yet there was. You know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus meets and he starts talking to her and then all of a sudden he starts drawing out like, hey, wow, you've got a lot of sin in your life. You've been married multiple times. You've had partners. You're not even married to the guy you're living with. She was an outcast among Samaritan outcasts. And he shows her mercy and grace. Jesus showed mercy to his enemies. What do we mean when we talk about enemies? That's a hard one to define, isn't it? Well, let's keep it simple. It just means anybody who is in opposition to us. Whether it's the supervillain who's intentionally trying to thwart you, or whether it's the person close by who unintentionally, with good intentions even, is opposing you. Enemy. Luke 23, 34, Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. On the cross. And before you start searching your brain for other such enemies in the Bible, just grab a mirror. Because you and I were the enemy first. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? You catch that? 
Jesus didn't die on the cross for you because you were a little bit better than someone else or because you would turn around and go, God, you're awesome. He died when the entire world was opposed to him. That's you and me, even now. This is the grace and this is the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. How does that translate to you and me right now, though? Only God can pardon someone's legal unrighteousness in regard to relationship with him. But what about our relationship to others? How does this impact me when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy? Because we too, followers of Christ, are called to show the same undeserved mercy to others, to our family and friends, to the hungry and the sick and the poor, the oppressed and marginalized, the racial, social outcast, and yes, even to our own enemies, which can be in all of those categories. Catch the progression. We're going to have to show grace to pardon and forgive others where they have wronged us and been in opposition to us before we can show the mercy. Mercy is impossible where there is no grace. Think on that for a second. Mercy is impossible where there is no grace. How can you show sympathy with another person's sin, with another person's offense, especially when it's to you, if you haven't dealt with the actual sin of the offense first? Just tuck that one away. Keep it at the front of the hard drive, maybe on the desktop where you can see it there in your brain. Because as we move through this sermon and Jesus starts talking about loving your enemies and forgiving people and stuff, this is going to come back out. We'll get there. We have to show grace and deal with the issue before the mercy can come. Have you ever tried to be sympathetic with the person that you have not forgiven? With the person you're still ticked off with, hurt by? Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. What does that mean? They will be shown mercy. You've got to come back to this reality of God's grace. Because I think without a proper understanding of God's grace and mercy, this is going to actually push us into a dark place. What do I mean by that? Uh, this statement, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, along with the statement he's going to make in the next chapter in this sermon, verse 15, if you do not forgive others' sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How do you understand that? Grace and mercy taken outside of his grace and mercy are a death sentence. What do I mean? There's this statement that's in the Old Testament Bible and the New Testament in the Bible, and it's a command, and it says this, Be holy, for I am holy. Be righteous, for I am righteous. 
Anybody else that's grown up in church and that one has just hung over you and freaked you out? Have you tried really hard? Okay, I gotta be holy. I have to be holy. If I'm not holy, then what will he do with me? That statement, be holy for I am holy, is a command based on a promise. God isn't saying, hey, figure it out, get your holiness together, get your righteous act together, knock off the bad stuff. What he is saying is, you can't do it yourself. You can be holy because I'm first holy. It's based on him, what he has done and what he gives to us. You can be holy and righteous and merciful because I've already paid the price. I've already shown you mercy. Because my grace and mercy are a free gift that you receive by faith, not by works. Because I will give you my spirit to enable you to accomplish what you can't do on your own. God knows you can't do this. He's not being cruel. Hey, you can't be holy, but be holy. You better be merciful or else I'm not going to show you mercy. You better forgive or I won't forgive. That can't be what he's saying. Because that's a complete contradiction to everything else Jesus preached, taught, and lived. So here we go again to Christ's righteousness, not self-righteousness. You cannot earn God's mercy by being merciful. You can't earn his grace by being gracious. Because here's the point. You don't have the capacity to show mercy the way he needs you to. You don't have the capacity to show grace the way he needs you to. You don't have the capacity to be righteous the way he needs you to. To try and earn it is called works salvation or a works sanctification, even after you've been justified and saved and all the things. So obviously this is not what Jesus means. This is the opposite of what he means when he says, don't be self-righteous. Your righteousness has to be bigger than the Pharisees. We have to interpret these commands in a larger understanding of God's grace and mercy for us. Luke chapter 7. I'd like for you to open this one up because I'm going to read a big chunk here. This is Luke recording a story. Jesus is going to go to one of the Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious elite, the religious leaders of his day. This Pharisee happens to be named Simon. He's not talking about Simon Peter, the one that follows him. It's a different Simon. For whatever reason, I don't know why, he invites him over. I don't know if it's like a legit, hey, Jesus, come over. I just want to hear more from you. Or if he's trying to set Jesus up like they often did. I don't know. But this is the story. Jesus comes over with his disciples to have a meal at Simon the Pharisee's house. And someone breaks in, unexpected visitor. Just, just follow along. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus must have heard him somehow. And he answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher. 
Verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed them 500 denarii, the other 50. I think that's a lot of money. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Ooh. Simon replied, well, I, I think the right answer is the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet. But she wept and wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, check this out. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the guests all started to murmur. Who is this guy? Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. I want to make sure you catch what's going on in this scene. Simon is a self-righteous guy, and he's probably doing it pretty good. That's what a Pharisee was. They lived up to the law. They did all the things that God wrote down in the book, and they did them really well. Better than everybody else. It says this woman is a sinner. It doesn't give all the specifics. It just means she was a really bad lady. She did a lot of bad things. Most likely, she was probably somewhere in the prostitute realm of some kind. Most likely something to do with sexual sin. In that culture, the only women who wore their hair down in society were prostitutes. Respectable women kept their hair up. That was the culture. And this woman comes in with her hair down, wiping Jesus' feet with perfume and her own tears, kissing his feet, can I just say this? This is actually kind of an erotic thing. Like when you think about that, I don't think that's what she was trying to do, but when you just think about the context here, you're Simon sitting off on the side going, what is going on? This guy says he's the Messiah. He says he's a prophet, and he's letting a prostitute take her hair down and kiss his feet. I wonder how many of us would have had the same reaction. And Jesus doesn't back away. And he doesn't push her away. He does the opposite. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this was a sexual encounter. Please don't misunderstand me. But just understand what's going on here. This woman is so overwhelmed. She has somewhere before this scene had an interaction with Jesus' grace and his mercy. To the point where she would walk into it. She knows who the Pharisee is. She's not stupid. It's not that big of a place. She walks in there in front of Buddy and washes his feet. Just to walk in his house in the first place. The guts. But he doesn't push her away. He says, hey, self-righteous guy who thinks you have it all together. 
You don't understand forgiveness because if you did, you would be right here too. Weeping and wiping my feet with your tears. You cannot give mercy when you have not received mercy. You cannot give grace when you have not understood and received grace. This is how it works. Isn't it wild? It's all the people that shouldn't be coming into church, shouldn't be walking into a Pharisee's house, are the one that Jesus goes, do you see this person's faith? This is what I'm looking for. Is that you? Is that you? Or are you, Simon, off in the corner going, oh, do you see who walked in? Do you see who Jesus is hanging out with? Whoa. The person who has not embraced and received Jesus' grace and mercy is never going to know what it means to show grace and mercy to others. And you go back over this progression of the Beatitudes, the blessed are's, blessed are the poor in spirit. The more we become aware of our spiritual poverty, the more we will understand just how amazing and scandalous God's love is for us. He suffered humiliation to love us constantly and still does. He knows the darkness of my heart more than any other person on this planet, including me, and still loves me. Has that sunk in yet? Because if it hasn't, you're going to struggle. And the amount of people I talk to have been saved for years following Jesus. I'm like, I'm not sure if Jesus really loves me. Oh, that's a good place to hang out. Lord, what's going on? What's getting in the way? Because the way this principle works isn't, hey, you better be merciful or I'm not going to be merciful for you. No, 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 that's self-righteousness. It becomes grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. As I live in his grace and mercy, I'm made capable of showing grace and mercy. As I show grace and mercy, I more deeply feel his grace and mercy. You see it? This is called the good cycle. We always talk about the vicious cycle. This is the really good cycle. This is the cycle of grace and mercy. Not condemnation and guilt and shame. John Stott, I already mentioned him once. i just quote him here. For to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they are sinners too. How's your heart? Would you say you have a heart that reflects the mercy of Jesus Christ? In just a moment, I'm going to have Tosh come, and she's going to lead us through a time of reflection as we prepare our hearts for communion. To come and remember the grace and the mercy and the incredible humiliation and sacrifice that Jesus paid 
so that we could receive his grace and mercy. But as we do that, can I get you rolling in that direction? And I want you to hear this in case you've missed it. One of the greatest indicators of how much mercy we are able to show others is how much we have taken a hold of Christ's mercy for us. I want you to think about it that way. Have you taken hold of his free offer of love, grace, and mercy? Maybe you're here today and you've never done that before. We just had three people come and share a story of how Jesus got a hold of them and they've responded. Is that you? Is it time? Disciple of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been a Christian for a billion years. Are you abiding in his love? In his grace? In his mercy? Right now? Are you still struggling? Maybe it's time to put your hand up and go chat with someone. I need to be honest. I've been doing this a long time, and something's not happening here. Something's not sinking in, and I'm struggling. Please stop letting the devil keep you in the darkness. Just own it. That's the first step. First John. If we bring it into the light, the sun burns it away. Sun, S-O-N. If we confess, he's willing to forgive. Bring it into the light. Have you come face to face with the scandalous love of Jesus Christ? Have you realized you're the prostitute? You're the sinful woman. So am I. Many of us come here every month and we take communion, and I think I, I wonder how many times we go, yeah, 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 the bread, the cup, Jesus, thank you, blah, blah, blah. When was the last time you were broken in the face of what he did? for you. What he gave and what he gave up because he loved you. When everybody else was around going, this person shouldn't be here, Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is exactly the person. You are the person that should be here. Have you received that love? Let me, let me put this a different way. And I think this is what Christ is getting at. Here's one of the ways you're going to know that you have taken a hold of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ when you can start to show, genuinely show grace and mercy even to your enemies. Ouch. Later on in this chapter of Matthew 5, he's going to say this, 46. If you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Everybody does that. I'm calling you to love those who are your enemies. I don't want to say that to heap shame. I just want to say that to go, hey, I'm really struggling to show mercy to someone. Is there a name? Has the Spirit been putting a name on your heart this whole time? Maybe, they, maybe he has. Don't let the enemy push you into shame over that. Use that as an opportunity to go, Lord, I'm not getting it. Help me, please. 
and trust his grace and his mercy for you in this moment. To meet you in that place. It's an amazing place to get when you can actually pray for people who have been in opposition to you, who have hurt you. I'm not saying you turn a blind eye to the hurt. That's not what we're talking about. We talked about that last week. But when you can come to a place where you have so received His grace, you have understood how bad you didn't deserve His love and He gave it to you anyway, it gets that much easier now to turn and give it back. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? How's your heart? How are you doing with this? Is there someone you need to show mercy? And maybe in that name, before you start worrying about showing them mercy, maybe you need to stop and go, Lord, what's going on inside me that I'm struggling so much to receive it from you first? Can we do that as we move forward? I'm going to invite Tosh to come. We're going to move into a time of communion here. I'd ask those who have put their faith in Christ and are following Christ, we've got these fun little communion cups with the bread, and invite you to participate. That's not to be mean or whatever, but this is a moment to identify with Christ and, and say that we believe in Jesus. If you can do that, I'd ask you to take that. I'd ask you to keep letting the Spirit speak. Tosh, would you just come? I think the microphone's right here. And just lead us in that time.